and welcome to So What's the Problem, where we rewatch a movie from our youth to determine if it's problematic by today's standards. I'm Jen. And I'm Jimmy. Today we'll be discussing Mad Love, which was released in the US on May 26, 1985, and in the UK on November 24, 1985. It was written by Paula Mellon and directed by Antonia Bird. Uh, it stars Chris O'Donnell, Drew Barrymore, Joan Allen, Kevin Dunn, Leif Schreiber, briefly, and Matthew Lillard, also briefly. Jimmy and I have thought of three problems the movie has, and we'll discuss them. We also each have one positive for the movie. Mm-hmm. All right, and I will read the synopsis for the movie. High school student Matt falls in love with the new girl in town, Casey. When Casey is sent to a mental institution after a suicide bid, Matt helps her escape. But while on the run, Casey begins to show signs of instability. Basically, yeah. I took that off of um, Google when I looked up the movie and that was there and I tweaked a bit of it because I did like high school student Matt mm-hmm. um, I tweaked some of it but that's basically what it is because a lot of the time when you look at the those kind of synopsis the, the brief ones on Google they're not that great yeah. I thought that one was quite good well I, I have no history with this movie I watched it for the first time today so what's your history with it Jen? Um, I believe I rented it probably not long after it came out and it's one of those movies I, and I think I even owned it on VHS I don't know and I only half liked it, but I kept watching it. I don't know why. And I hadn't yeah. seen it since the 90s. Um, this should be an interesting conversation because we were supposed to record last week and we didn't. So I actually watched yeah. this movie like almost a week and a half ago. And so, you know, my memory <laughs> sucks. So uh, there may be some things I forget. That's okay. Did you write notes? Yes, I did. I did. If I hadn't written That's notes, okay. I would have had to rewatch the movie this morning. Right. Fair enough. This movie's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fine. It's it's okay. I don't think it's anything amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's all right. Uh, but we'll get into. Obviously, we'll get into the positive and what I think makes the movie work. Mm-hmm. Kind of, but I, I kind of find it a little bit dull at times. To be honest with you, I just didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't click with me. The whole mental health issue is is what sort of draws me to the movie. The whole that sort of thing is what you know draws me to it. But anyway, what is your first problem? Let's just get straight into them. He he's a bit of a stalker. Um, his staring yeah. at her is unsettling, mm-hmm. and um, he could have. But it's gone... romantic, Jen. It's no. romantic. No, he could have gone up to her and invited her to the concert, but instead yeah. he like has his little brother put a ticket in her mailbox. Like, yeah. He, and I love that she's just like, "That's lame. Don't do that." Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's just he's pretty creepy, and it's it's one of those things where, and I have no idea if I thought it was romantic or not when I was a kid. Oh yeah, it's one of those things that's hard for me to relate to because it's like, I mean, I guess maybe he he finds her amusing because. Of how she deals with her car and stuff like that, but for the most part, yeah. he's obsessed with her just because of how she looks. Like, because he doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about her, and it's no. weird. And it also, and like, he looks in her notebook, and I don't know. I'm, I don't, I don't like it. I think that is supposed to be romantic, though. I mean, she gives him shit for it, mm-hmm. and she also gives him shit for looking at her through the telescope, which she should. And that's, but that's not. I mean, that is 
creepy, but it's also understandable to me because he stumbles onto her accidentally. It's not like he's looking for. I mean, he keeps looking at her, which isn't great. Yeah, he he doesn't move the telescope though. It's still fixated on her window. We don't see him trying to watch her like undress or anything. He's like watching her dancing around. So it's not as creepy as it could be. But we don't see that though. Yeah. <laughs> We don't know because the, the the telescope is fixated on her window. Mm-hmm. It isn't moved because the dad is going to look through it, mm-hmm. and he tells him not. Well, he distracts him. He's like, "Yeah, it's it's creepy." Uh, I was going to write that. I was going to write that that Matt's a bit of a creepy stalker, mm-hmm. but I just figured you'd cover that. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So my first problem is it's just the old problem of casting fully grown adults. As uh, teenagers, mm-hmm. again, it comes up a lot. It's a, it's a problem for me quite a lot. Well, this is about the third time, maybe, fourth time I've said it. Because seeing Chris O'Donnell with shorts and the backwards cap just made me think of that Steve Buscemi meme. <laughs> How do you do, fellow kids? I This is weird because I usually do it. I didn't think to look up their ages. Did you happen to look up the actors' ages? Him and Matthew Lillard are 25. Oh, okay. Uh, Drew's 19. Okay, that's better. But it's weird because Kevin Dunn is only like 12 years older than Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> he plays his dad and he's only 12 years older than him. And Leave Schreiber, who's supposed to be an adult, is only two years older than Chris O'Donnell. Oh, wow. Okay. Can we talk for a second about the scream thing? The Scream thing, yeah. yeah this movie has Drew Barrymore, Matthew Lillard, and Liev Schreiber in it, and her name is Casey. Yeah, I know. That's weird. I know. It is very weird. And Scream was the year after this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is very strange. And Matthew Lillard still plays a teenager in Scream a year after yeah. this, when he would have been about 26. So, yeah. But, yeah, that always bothers me. It's all right when it's... If they get somebody that's 19, like Drew Barrymore, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Even 20, I can, you know... Because they're not that long out of high school. Yeah. But it must be weird for actors who are 25 years old and pretending they're in high school and wearing big baggy clothes mm-hmm. and baggy fucking Kevin Smith shorts <laughs> and they just look ridiculous. And it must be weird for them to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the ones who do it for so long. Because there are some actors who they play teenagers when they are actually teenagers and then they're still playing. Or like Bianca Lawson played a teenager from like age 15 to like 33. Yeah, she she played one quite recently, didn't she? Uh, Pretty Little Liars at this point. It's probably been about 10 years. And I knew she was on Teen Wolf, but then I found out she was actually playing an adult on Teen Wolf and that made me feel better. I assumed she was a teen at first. But even even that, even Pretty Little Liars, considering, I mean, if you're a fan of hers and you've seen her play a teenager so many times mm-hmm. and then she turns up in this new show and she's a teenager again, it's like, come on, Bianca. <laughs> yeah, well, and I I watched her on Say by the Bell, the new class. Like, yeah. Even before, you know, Buffy and everything. So uh-huh. I've been watching her. I watched her play a teenager for like, I don't know, around 15 years or so. And that was weird. Like yeah. watching her when... Uh, she's playing characters that are older than me to to mm. getting to the point where I'm like 10 years older than her character or 12 years older. <laughs> Crazy. I know. It's very strange. So what is your second problem? This is so tough because uh, I have I have more than three problems. Um, I'm going to say... Well, that's good. I'll agree with you that it's boring. When I watched it when I was a kid... 
I liked the stuff before they ran away. Yeah. And then yeah. I didn't like the stuff when they ran away because I wasn't into like anything having to do with mental illness, um, mm -hmm. which now I find interesting. But um, mm -hmm. now I'm watching it and I find the beginning boring. Mm -hmm. And the second half Absolutely. is more interesting to me, but not as interesting as it could be. Um, and yep. I also made note that the concert scene is too long. That scene goes on way too long. That was almost one of my problems until I come up with another one. That was far too long. The, the, you know my problems with that sort of thing? It's like they play the entire song and you don't need the entire song. And you've got these people who are dancing really sort of awkwardly yeah. and moshing. And it's like, it just looks really fake. It's too early in the movie to be able to pull that off. Like, maybe if we were more attached to the characters or something. And it's clear that the director or somebody was obsessed with music. Like, music was going to be a big thing for them with this movie. And I get that. Yeah. I respect it. But we do not need that long a concert scene. Uh, Antonia Barb, I'm quite surprised she directed this. Because she is... Well, she was. She passed away uh, recently. But I say recently, I think it was 10 years ago or something. Anyway, she was a British producer and she produced, she directed a lot of like British TV shows, um, like EastEnders, which is a soap opera here and stuff like that. She, she directed stuff like that. And then when she went to Hollywood, she made movies like Ravenous, which is a cannibal movie. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then, and this. Her other movies have been like um, just like low budget British movies. She hasn't really done anything. This is her first major American motion picture. She hasn't really, she didn't really do any after that mm -hmm. because Ravenous was like a low budget one again. So it was quite strange that this was like a big Disney, not a big Disney movie, but you know, moderately budgeted Disney. Sort of it makes me wonder stuff. if it's kind of like Danny Boyle, like you know, he was successful in the UK and then he came over and he directed. A lot is it life less ordinary? Was that the one he did? Yeah, okay. that was American first American um, one, yeah. Which I hated, and it didn't. Yeah, same here. It didn't do well, and and he didn't have a great experience. So he was like, "I'm going back where I came from, and I'm going to make movies there." And I'm wondering if it might be a similar situation. It might be, but it just I don't know. Just going by her other works, it just doesn't seem to me that music was probably her choice. I think maybe. Maybe the this was one of those things that was like producers were like, This is a teen movie, you must have music that is aimed at teen teens. We have this band who are willing to be in the movie. And even the song just sounded like beat poetry to me. It just it just wasn't really a song. It was it was very strange. Um I'll need to find it in Spotify and see if I can put it on our playlist on Spotify. Uh before we continue, I've actually got a couple of corrections. I should have said this at the beginning, right? couple of corrections and things and and our live and let die episode i said that james bond that bond girls are only those who sleep with james bond and i was told by my good friend martin who i've recorded with many many times that i'm an idiot <laughs> and that is wrong okay it's just a woman in a bond movie basically is a bond girl okay so and the other correction i can't remember so i might get to that later if i remember it <laughs> So, my second problem is characters withholding crucial information from another character that could solve the whole fucking thing, and it's only there so the story can move the way the story has to move. They have to run away. 
because that's the point of the movie. But if the parents just sat down and said to Matt, look, she has this problem. She has this mental illness. She needs these medications, blah, blah, blah. Instead of being so standoffish with him, then I think the whole thing could have been solved earlier and we would have had no movie. <laughs> because they try to fake us out with their parents. They try to make us think their parents are just dicks and they're like overprotective. Yeah. Especially the dad. But the dad is kind of a dick. But, um, but the mum shows some sympathy towards Matt and you would think mm. she would tell him earlier. Yeah same way she tells him in the phone call later they're questionable because i also don't understand why they didn't call the cops like if she's such a danger to herself they should have called the cops from the beginning and i i don't understand why they wouldn't yeah bad decision making is my my problem is just these all of the characters make bad decisions (laughs) in this movie and i mean they have to because that has to be a movie the story has to move forward and um but do they have to run away? Do you know what I mean? Could they not have told the story in another way? I don't know. It just seems a bit strange to me that they wouldn't tell him straight away. So what is your third problem? I've been conflicted about my third problem, but I realized I should talk about one of my problems when I talk about my positive, because it's kind of a right. yin and yang, they're either or or whatever thing. Um, so I'm going to go with, and this is gonna i mean there are bigger problems in this movie but like honestly Mm -hmm. there was a thing in the the 90s and i guess people thought it was attractive at the time but her tweezed eyebrows yeah did you notice yeah 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 i noticed her eyebrows were yeah thin eyebrows and it is at the time i probably thought that it looked great but Mm -hmm. Now it's awful. It's awful. It was hard for me to look at. And it's so funny because I remember, because I have really thick eyebrows and I remember wishing I had thinner eyebrows, but I was afraid to tweeze. I was afraid I was going to mess it up. And now I'm so glad I never messed with my eyebrows when I was younger because, oh God, that looks awful. Yeah. My eyebrows are quite thick. I always get them trimmed. When I get my head shaved, Mm -hmm. always the hairdresser always shaves my eyebrows as well. So that's good. Not shaved them off, but just give them a little trim. Uh, yeah, I noticed that. I did notice that. Like, I liked her style. I liked her clothes and stuff, but, like... Yeah, I noticed that as well, right. yeah. Yeah, that was that's the kind of 90s wardrobe that I always wanted. Yeah. Her outfit, when she stands up, she's in the library and she stands up, her outfit is really nice. I really like that. Like She's wearing, like, long pants. Obviously mm-hmm. long pants, but she's wearing, like, pants. And they're sort of slightly baggy, but not mm-hmm. overly baggy. They're not Chris O'Donnell baggy. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, she's... Had nice clothes in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a huge fan of 90s fashion, but yeah. So my my final problem is in the restaurant when Casey goes to the toilet and she's taking a while and Matt's getting worried about her. So he finds her sitting on the floor and she's like she's taking her dress off and she's hitting the wall. Mm-hmm. And um it's supposed to be a really powerful scene. And it would have been it would have affected me greatly that way if it wasn't for the fact that Casey puts her hand on the toilet seat and then proceeds to put it on her face. Oh. And that just grossed me out. <laughs> you know, me yeah. and hygiene. Blah, blah. I was like, okay, this is really, you know, this is, she's acting her socks off here. This is really great. But then she goes and touches the toilet seat and then puts it on her face. Mm. Blah. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. And yeah. I do, before I forget, I was looking at my notes, I, I missed something in my creepy stalker complaint. 
All right. When he's talking to her about uh, the fact that he was looking in on her with his telescope, he says, mm-hmm. if you were me and you saw you, wouldn't you look? Yeah. That's gross. That Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's your fault for being attractive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, you're so attractive. I have to look at you. Also, if you're going to be creepy, like at least like move the telescope when you're done. That's just yeah. pretty simple. Like you don't want anyone to know what you're doing. Yeah, he has nine year old sibling. They might not be able to reach it, mind you, but you know, but his dad could just look at it one day, just go into his room and just look. Oh, there's another thing that sucks is that he has these siblings and he's basically taking care of them, right? Like he's basically the dad. He is, and so like he he hasn't really known this girl that long, and he's willing to abandon his siblings. I don't run away with her. That. That yeah. is one of the, that actually more than anything else, even the creepy stalker stuff, that made him a more unlikable character to me than anything else. If they didn't have that scene where he's basically taking care of the kids, mm-hmm. I mean that's a great scene. I mean it shows just like he's 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 a creepy stalker, but it also shows that you know he cares about his siblings and he's actually a, a, you know he's a good kid. He's mm-hmm. you know looking after the siblings and all that but then he just fucks off and just leaves them with the dad who has to work after their mother has already left them like it's yeah exactly it's upsetting i mean the the twins wouldn't really remember that he barely remembers it because he was nine but they still know that their mother abandoned them yeah true well remember they remember they've uh, what nine years or something no was it nine, he's how is he supposed to be 17 maybe Maybe eighteen, like so eight years say, um the the so the the babies were one the twins were one when she left that's you know it's a bit of a shitty move so I'm interested to hear what your positive is then because you said you've got to mix in a a negative in there so it's it's let's hear it what's your positive it's um the mental illness factor I yeah. love a TV show or movie that references mental illness. Um, as somebody mm-hmm. with depression and anxiety, well, I, I'm still not used to this because it's it's only been a year, but like I'm bipolar too, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the depressed yeah. one, not the manic one. Mm-hmm. And so I love the representation of mental illness. Um, I don't, I think they did a decent job in this. Um, like I appreciate mm-hmm. it, especially with the 90s, like in a teen movie, the fact that they're touching on mental illness. The only... Yeah, re- and the, suicide. Yeah, yeah. The reason I have a problem with it um but i don't i guess i don't totally blame them because like right now people have like it's pretty common knowledge things like bipolar and depression and stuff like that but at the time it wasn't so i don't totally blame mm-hmm. them but it seems like she's probably bipolar one um yeah or something like it's it, it's they don't really get into this they don't get specific about her mental illness mm-hmm. and like, if it were made now, they would. Um, and that bothers me that they don't... It feels more like, hey, she's crazy. When it's really... Mm-hmm. it, it, And I think we we talked about this with the wizard. That, like, the kids seemed autistic. Mm-hmm. But, like, they didn't... They probably didn't have, like, really understand that's what the character seemed yeah. to be at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But... Or maybe they even did, but just didn't think audiences would know what autism was. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and here is the same thing where you're watching it and you're like, she must be bipolar or something. And it it would be nice if they got more specific with it and named it 
Um, but I also know this is the mid nineties and, you know, the fact that they have a mentally ill teen in a movie at all is, um, without it being like that they're a serial killer or something that's, that's different. Yeah. Like I, yeah. The second half of the movie I didn't like as much when I was a teenager, and now I very much appreciate it, even though I think it was still kind of boring. I went into this movie knowing the premise and knowing that it dealt with mental illness and suicide, and I expected to hate it. Like, I expected to tear into that aspect of it because it's a movie in the mid-90s, but it handles it pretty well. And... It's not, it doesn't go down the route of her, like, I don't know, say, kidnapping someone or um, taking hostages hostages or something like that. They, they could go like a crazy route and, you know, make her really, but it's just, it, it's just between those two. I just like that. I just thought that, I was quite surprised that they do that in the 90s, a 90s movie, actually. I was waiting to just, like, rip into it because yeah. of the depiction of mental illness, but I, I'm not, so... <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought they did a a pretty good job, and so um, and it's one of those things where like, you know, as a teen, I don't know, maybe I didn't know enough or just wasn't ready for that. But now watching it, it's I I totally appreciate that that's what the movie's about. I just I think that the movie would have been better if they fleshed out their romance, like maybe given us a montage of time passing with them together mm-hmm. so that I could better buy that he loves her so much he would run away with her. It's, I mean, he's only known her for a few days, then they run away. I didn't realize it's so easy to run away from a, a psychiatric hospital, but there you go. You just need to go out the staff only door and that's you. But yeah. the title is a bit on the nose, though, like Mad Love. Mm-hmm. At least it didn't go for crazy love. That would have been awful. Or crazy for you. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. That would have been terrible. My positive, and I'm going to have to say Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to have to, because I never really considered her as the strongest performer. Yeah, me too. Like, as an adult. Mm-hmm. I never thought she was, because I've seen movies with her as an adult, and I just thought that she's just like this sort of cookie bubbly sort of character at times. But this made me realise that, given the right role, that she she could have been maybe Oscar nominated at one point if she yeah. kept in stuff like this, yeah. but she didn't. She, I mean, I do like her on Santa Clarita Diet. I really like Santa Clarita Diet. But, yeah. Um, I do feel, as an adult, sometimes it feels like she's kind of phoning it in. Um, if you yeah. watch her earlier stuff, she's so good. I mean, like even thinking about like Scream, she's so good in Scream. She is. She's a she. She. I. I feel like maybe she's not as passionate about acting anymore. I mean, she has a talk show right mm. now, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like when she was younger, it just and maybe I'm wrong about where her mind's been, but it feels like she was a lot more passionate. Like she was more of an actor when she was younger. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, it it just feels like she cared a lot more when she was younger because her performances are so much better. And as an adult, it's and and as an adult watching her movies, she always seems like she's having fun. I mean, she mostly does comedies. And when you watch her stuff, it always there's always a good energy. Like it always just feels Mm -hmm. like she's having a good time. So it's not even like I think she hates acting, but it's and maybe it is because she does comedies. Maybe maybe if she did more dramas she would be better. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen Driving in Cars with Boys, which is the most recent drama I can think of. So I can't yeah, remember how yeah, she yeah. is in that. But 
Um, I wish I would like to see her now in a more serious role and see how she does. Yeah, because in the, the aforementioned restaurant scene, I imagine she had a lot of practice for that scene uh, because she's trying to look like everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, she's pretending everything's okay. Uh, and the way she's like talking to to Tomat, and then she's she's you know drinking or water or whatever she's drinking, and then she's like sort of you know a little bit sort of fidgety and all that. And I imagine that because of how fucked up her life was mm-hmm. up to this point, that she probably had a lot of practice of that of trying to pretend that everything is okay. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. And just you know pretending that life isn't fucked because mm-hmm. yeah. She did go through a lot of shit, and um, her mum put her into um, uh, institution at some point as well. That performance there, once she, once she becomes sort of unhinged, I think that's where Drew Barrymore sort of shines. Mm-hmm. I don't know that sounds strange, but I think that is where she is the strongest. Uh, so yeah, my my positive is Drew Barrymore, uh, and next time I. I promise not to pick a um an actor, uh, and I know because of the, what I know what the next film is, it's not going to be the soundtrack either. So that'll be fine. <laughs> so next week I'm not picking the soundtrack either. So. Okay, I've got a couple of notes as per usual. The same year as this, Chris O'Donnell and Drew Barrymore were both in Batman Forever. Yeah, I saw that. Exact same year as this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, he was obviously Robin mm-hmm. and she was. Uh, Sugar, sugar and spice, and she was and sugar. Baby Mazar was spice. Mm-hmm. The sex scene is pretty hard for a PG thirteen. I felt because uh, you see nipple. There's there's some nip in there, um, and very briefly when she closes the blinds, if you pause it, she's actually topless. Oh okay. So you know that they're getting away with a lot in PG thirteen, uh, nineteen ninety five. But also, it's weird because I imagine that maybe this movie is supposed to maybe be R-rated because I've noticed there's some dubbing when Matt's shouting at his dad, he says friggin', but his mouth says fucking. Hmm. So I noticed that a couple of times. Because when she says, was it, it's just a fucking car, and he says, I know it's just a friggin' car, I think he's supposed to say fucking as well, but it was overdubbed with friggin' because they're only allowed the two F-bombs mm-hmm. because Leif Schreiber also says an F-bomb. So maybe it was supposed to be R-rated. Yeah, it's that from what I've heard from other movies, like things that have happened on other movies with ratings, I just kind of assume that it was supposed to be R-rated and then the studio was like, it's teens. We want to market it as a teen movie. Because they did. They marketed it as a like fun teen movie. Yeah. So they probably made some changes. Because I, I feel like that's what happened with Can't Really Wait, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were making an R-rated movie and, and then the studio is just like, no, 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 no. We want to be able to get teenagers of all ages in. Yeah. So it has to be PG-13. And um, it. what makes me sad is knowing that, like, with both Can't Hardly Wait and this, uh, DVD is just a few years away, right? Yep. And if, if, if it had just been maybe five years later, we would have gotten director's cuts of these movies. Because mm-hmm. maybe Mad Love is even, like, a much better film, but stuff was cut out. Yeah. Um, and I would have loved to have seen like unrated cuts of the movies, um, but now we won't ever ever get that. No, no. I remembered what the other correction was, and it's not a correction, but I have to say that when Testo and I did our Flash Gordon episode, none of us mentioned the fact that the main actor, um, 
Sam J. Jones, who plays Flash Gordon, was actually dubbed for the majority of that movie because he refused to come back into the recording booth. Okay. And he refused to read the line. Do you have anything else to say? Do you have any more problems that you took out of this and maybe want to talk about? Or No, I feel like I got everything out of my system. I managed to, to squeeze a couple in without cool, cool, cool. like them not calling the cops and stuff like that. Yeah. I do... I do remember this is around the time where Drew Barrymore, like, you know, I talked about her clothes and stuff, mm. but, like, she's somebody I really wanted to be more like. Yeah. Like, especially a couple of years later when she um, starts her her production company, Flower Films. Yeah. And I, I remember reading a lot of interviews with her at the time, and she just sounded just so fun and happy, and it was nice. Like, here she's doing kind of darker movies, mm. like, around 95, but then... Um, by the late 90s, it kind of felt like she was having more fun with what she was mm. doing. And after everything she went through in her childhood, that was really nice to see. Yeah. But anyway, our next movie is my pick, obviously. And uh, Jen already knows this. But we're going to do Roadhouse from 1989, starring Patrick Swayze and Sam Elliott. And I'm looking forward to that. It was on TV here like a couple of weeks ago when I recorded it so I could watch it. <laughs> for this. So that's next. Roadhouse from 1989. I'm excited. I have it on DVD, but I've never actually watched it. Yeah. I thought I actually thought of you, Jen. I was like, I'll, I'll pick something that Jen wants to see. Whether or not you like it is another matter, but, you know, at least you would have seen it. So that's all we have time for. Uh, if you'd like to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's at DropThePilotPod. I have my own Twitter at ShiftyB, um, S-H-I-F-T-Y-B-E-A. Uh, shifttobench.co.uk is the website. Contact at shifttobench.co.uk is the uh, email address. And if you want to leave us a rating or a review on Good Pods, then please do that because that will help out the show. Or Spotify, leave us five stars on there. That'd be nice. Uh, so where can people follow you on the internet, Jen? I'm on Twitter at um, at Pilot Inspectors. Excellent. So thank you all for listening. We'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.